Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show, and this week I'm joined by cinematographer Kaylin Yatsko. We discuss her journey into filmmaking, the perks of learning on the job, and how collaboration can teach you something about yourself. Welcome, Kaylin. Thank you for having me. So, Kaylin, you are a cinematographer, and you've been one for a few years now, but with everyone, there's a moment in time where they decide what they want to pursue in their life. When did that happen for you? Um, it actually happened pretty early. I, When I was younger, I got really into photography because I was a shy little kid and I could sneak away and just like shoot photos by myself. And then I discovered with with the the dawning of DVD bonus features, the like behind the scenes of all um, movies that I love to watch. And I was like, oh wait, this is a job. Like people are, I, I kind of like grasped the concept of the making of a movie and I fell in love with it. So I was probably like 14 maybe when that happened. And I just devoured like every bonus feature I could possibly find was particularly into the Lord of the Rings bonus features because they were so thorough. It was like a whole movie to watch the making of the movie. Yes. I was just going to say Lord of the Rings. That was something that, you know, I'm not in the filmmaking business right now, but the, uh, the level of detail that's in there and how cool it makes the process seem. I think, yeah. I think that being drawn into like, Whoa, what's happening here. And it, it just goes through every aspect. Like, you know, not just what's happening on set, but all the special effects and everything that gets involved. Yeah, it covered everything. And it was also like Peter Jackson was such a like excited person about his movie. Like it was sort of interesting to see a big movie with someone who was so passionate about it. And it wasn't like this kind of big commercial feeling thing, even though the movie it, itself was really huge. It was kind of it was an interesting perspective on like the blockbuster I felt watching the behind the scenes stuff. So that kickstarted it. And then I was singular focus from there on just like going to do cinematography. This is what I want to do. I read and I like watched movies in high school because we did not have a film program and then went on the hunt for like a film program in college. Now, did you do anything like did you start playing with any sort of camera when you were that age or like did you do any sort of exploring or was it primarily this is what I'm going to do when I get into this next step of my life. Yeah, I would. I mean, we had like a, I guess it was maybe a, a mini DV camera. We also had an old video camera that was like VHS, very vintage that I would make. Like I somehow managed to convince my teachers a lot of the times instead of doing like a creative writing assignment, I was like, can me and my friends shoot like a little short film like creatively like we'll write it and then we'll shoot it and that'll be what I give to you and they amazingly said yes to that so I convinced my friends to do all these really horrible <laughs> shorts but it was nice practice to kind of get behind a camera but I was also directing those obviously and I it's not something that I like to do or want to do because I am relatively quiet even still and like would prefer to take a back seat in things and let a director kind of lead the charge but I was able to just get behind a camera and kind of practice the framing aspects of it with video rather than photo, which is what I was used to before. Interesting. Okay, cool. So so really right away, you're already starting to see what element of it you like the most too. Um, yeah. So so is that something you found out by by doing it and you're identifying that, oh, wait, I like setting up the shot. But when I'm telling the actor what to do, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. what, is yeah. that what it was like? Yeah, I think it was, it started because since I had done photography, it felt like the logical jump was cinematography. And, and I also was kind of, you know, no one else in my circle of friends was interested in film at the time. And I was sort of like, 
this feels like it's a role that I can do with the kind of knowledge I've already built just from photography. And then I'll do the other stuff because I have to. But it was, I never really questioned any other part of it. Like I'm not a big writer. I'm not, I don't, I feel like working with actors, you have to sometimes study acting. Like in college, we had to take an acting class to learn how to direct and it was a nightmare for me I was like this is horrible I hate this way too vulnerable actors are amazing I can't do it and it's um I feel like camera was kind of the only thing that ever crossed my mind as something that was appealing for whatever reason it was just singular that's what I want to do and that was it okay so then you graduate high school and you start looking at colleges what drew you to Calvin I so Calvin was kind of like a perfect fit for me in the sense that it was a smaller school. It was a liberal arts program and it had a film program that seemed like it would be a small class size. Like I, just because I had never taken any formal film classes, I kind of was intimidated by larger schools with larger programs. And I felt like Calvin, when I went to visit, I was like, well, this feels comfortable and feels like the right place to be. And they had such great equipment and facilities and it was a new program. So it felt like they were putting a lot of energy and like effort into kind of fostering it just end up feeling like the right place and I it, it was such a good for me like kind of baseline knowledge of filmmaking in general because you have to take all of the classes to know how to do all of it um, and there was never really a moment where you could choose a focus there are moments where you could try to get certain roles on a shoot but there was not like a cinematography track and I think for me Learning how to do everything just made me a better DP because I know what other department heads kind of need from me and how I, how we can kind of work together. And it's not just everything in terms of the filmmaking process, but also with it being a liberal arts education, you're also getting, you know, your bio in there, math in there. Did, did yeah. anything outside of the video targeted classes jump out to you as something that helped inform how you work today or, or that you just found interesting? The like philosophy classes I always found really interesting and helpful for just like kind of from like a narrative, you know, thought process standpoint. And then all of our film studies classes too were of course incredibly helpful just to get the like history and the kind of scope of cinema that has already been in existence. And um the one thing I wish I had paid more attention in was business classes, because that would have been <laughs> extremely helpful. <laughs> and I didn't think about it then, but that's my one like any you know student who gives who comes to me for advice I'm like take business classes like learn that side of stuff too especially if you want to start you know a production company or be a producer like that's incredibly helpful yeah it's amazing how much that is downplayed when people go into school and then how yeah. it's like it's almost a necessary part of anyone's job is to understand yeah. how business works. It surprises me, especially like you said, looking back on it, it's like, oh, why, why isn't this pushed? Yeah. If they had sort of encouraged the, like seeing the value in these different things versus being like, well, film is really your focus. So just like the other ones are to just get the credits out of the way. I feel like encouraging more of a kind of full embracing of like all the different classes you could take. I, I wish I kind of had that perspective when I was in college because now there's definitely things like, I wish I took more literature classes. I wish, like, I sure, would have yeah. maybe chosen different classes than I did. Yeah, well, and it's hard It's hard to know, though, too, uh, going into mm -hmm. it, like, what specifically you would think that you would want. I know, so um, I went to Calvin as well. This is how we know each other. <laughs> and I, uh, I've i always liked writing, and uh, but it wasn't really, that wasn't part of my major. I had some writing classes, but... Yeah. Uh, now here I am like writing actual novels. <laughs> and I remember I had a class scheduled with Gary Schmidt, who's an amazing middle grade writer, oh, yeah. which is that's the genre I'm currently writing in. And oh. it was like there was like a gym class or some like mandatory credit I needed oh, to take no. that interfered with this class. And so <laughs> I, at the time I was like, I don't that's fine. I'm probably not going to write a book ever. So whatever. <laughs> and, and, but I remember being really yeah. disappointed that no. I didn't get to take it because of like this stupid other thing. <laughs> and now I'm like looking back on that, I'm like, 
I can't believe I missed like this class with Gary Schmidt. Like that would have been amazing. But at the same time, like I think, well, and and he's a great person and an awesome professor. I know that through Mm -hmm. other means, um, meeting him in different scenarios. But sometimes I think too, well, okay, like I like where I'm at with my writing now. So maybe it all does work out. And with the business thing, so I worked with a magician for five years and we, we ran an online store together that we started together. But I ended up learning so much about how to run a business just by the act of doing it. And sometimes I wonder if some of the, because some of the concepts that I see that are, um, you know, that, that people will parrot from being in like a business program, I'll be Mm -hmm. like, man, like, I guess maybe that's the way to do it, or maybe it was the way to do it, but the way we did it was this and it really worked out. So, yeah. So sometimes it's like just the, the experience of life kind of maybe covers some of these things that aren't, aren't exactly how we dream they should have been when we look back on it. But it's, yeah. it is interesting to think about because when you articulated that thought, it, the, the first thing that came to my mind was like, wow, I, I feel the same way. Like looking back on my education, I'm like, wait a second, I had access to all these classes here. And yeah. like, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about the value and the diversity of it later until right. all of a sudden, well, I'm not, I'm not taking it anymore. But thankfully with the internet, it's like, oh, you can yeah. you know, jump on so many different resources and, and really learn from there too. Right. It is all at our fingertips now, but it is sort of like, Oh, I wish I saw things in like a more holistic way back then. Cause it would have just been more efficient than me <laughs> like learning things kind of piecemeal today. But I do agree. I feel like stuff like with business, it's like, and with making films too, I feel like it's sort of, sometimes it is helpful to have like a bit, it's a bit of an ignorance is bliss thing when you're first going into it, because I feel like you have all the confidence in the world. You're like, yeah, we can do this. We can figure it out. And the more, you know, the more complicated things become. So sometimes that sort of like innocence is valuable in, in starting out. Yeah. I think that's right. Like it, it helps you when you don't know the pain of what you're going to go through. And as the pain slowly comes at you, you're like, okay, I'm already in. Uh, (laughs) I had that same experience with writing as well, where it's like, oh, how hard can it be? And then all of a sudden, like every layer you go in deeper, you're like, wow, there's there's a lot (laughs) of stuff here that I just didn't think about. And uh, yeah, I think it's valuable for that reason to just to get into it. But also there's kind of this value of of extra creativity, right? Because you you might not have Mm -hmm. all the answers. And so you kind of have to use your own ingenuity to figure out how yeah. to navigate. Yeah. Creating your kind of own way of doing things. It doesn't, yeah. Just because business school would teach you one thing doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. So having the freedom to figure it out is really helpful. So you mentioned your, you wish you took some more literature classes or things like this. Is there anything that you're currently using to try to explore those areas more? Are you watching like a YouTube channel or, or reading books or? Yeah, I feel like I've tried to, I'm such a, like, I will watch movies and TV shows all day, every day. And I'm, I'm trying to get better at reading more books. I feel like it's, it's like, I feel like I see the value in, in reading these stories, in looking at the sort of story structure and the way that they piece things together. And I feel like that sort of sometimes informs creative choices in a script or how to shoot something that you don't necessarily get from just reading scripts or watching movies like when it becomes seamless but when I'm reading a book I can kind of pick out the structure of it more easily and I think I just need to be better at reading more things I just get sucked into tv shows or movies and then my time is gone but I've been trying to be more intentional about reading and I've been enjoying it a lot yeah it's a different headspace right like you have to you kind of have to be very intentional about it you almost have to say okay phone you're being set aside okay I'm going to be in a different room than the tv and then yes. just let myself get sucked into it. Yeah, it kind of takes me being a little bit more intentional about it. Because like movies, unless I'm watching them with the intention of sort of analyzing something, I like to just let them kind of wash over me so I can still enjoy movies even though I make them and I like kind of know how the sausage is made a little bit too much. 
I like to turn off my brain while watching movies, but reading books, I feel like I'm more intentional about it and I'm paying more attention to like how it's kind of piecing together. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like that aspect of it. So kind of back to the, your journey here as a filmmaker. So mm-hmm. you finish up at Calvin and do you know right away that you want to continue pursuing schooling with cinematography or? Yeah. So I, I kind of knew that since at Calvin, I kind of got a broad strokes version of filmmaking. I didn't feel still completely like confident in the, in my technical knowledge. Like I felt like there was way more to learn in terms of camera and lighting and the really technical side of it. So I wanted to find a program that was cinematography focused. And I looked at a bunch of grad schools and all amazing programs, but I was like, oh, this is going to be three more years and it's going to be so expensive. And I just felt kind of knowing that I was going into an industry that is already difficult to make a living off of. I felt weird about doing a grad program that I was going to spend a bunch of money on. So I found this program through um, our mutual friend, Debbie, who was at Calvin with us. She had applied to Prague Film School and was like, you should apply. It's a year long thing. It's like surprisingly cheap. It's this international program where people from kind of anywhere in the world come to Prague, learn film. And I just thought, I just thought it was really appealing in the, in the sort of like new perspective collision that it would bring. And it was just a year, it was kind of checking all of my boxes for things that I wanted. And it had a cinematography track. So I applied, I got in, Debbie decided not to go, but I decided to go. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, well, thank you for opening this door to me. And I, I went and I, it was great. It was the best decision I think I've made. When you got there, did you feel right away that like, like is it day one of classes where you're like, wow, this is definitely the right choice or is day one of classes like Debbie, why did you, why did you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How did I end up here? It was a bit like the school, we all kind of like joked about it because it felt a little bit like, like daycare for filmmakers. Like it was a very (laughs) small school. Everyone was just like a ragtag group of like people, like some people were there like, um, Oberlin and Vassar College have year-long programs that are study abroad for their film students that go to Prague. So some people were like still in college. Some were like 45-year-old, like man from like India who was like, I've been working in film. I just wanted to come and get like a little like classic education. It was such a range of perspectives that I was just like, I have no idea where this program is going to go. Day one, I was kind of like, holding my breath, hoping that it was going to be the right decision. But then it was, um, I feel like film school sometimes, like so much of it is is informed by the people that you happen to be there with, which is such a luck of the draw thing. Like you never know who's going to be in your program with you. But we had such a good group of people, a bunch of whom I still work with today. And it was kind of the people that made it such a good program because we all aligned creatively and visually and the things that we were working on together got us all excited. And it was kind of a perfect storm of, of meeting people at the right time in the right place at this weird place. We all ended up together. I I feel like it's a little like, because you're all dropped into a foreign place, you bond even tighter because you're like, we all, all we have is each other. We got to make this work. And it was, it, it was pretty quickly apparent to me that it was very much the right decision. And some of that mirrors what I've heard about, uh, like a lot of those Pixar directors and animators early on, they had all met mm. at the same school yeah. and, and, you know, this collaboration starts between them and all of a sudden you have a whole well of creativity come from that. And so it's cool to see yeah. that that happened to you at school. And then, you know, now you have, so you have two features and you guys do short films. What all... What all do you create? Yeah, so I guess so at Prague Film School, I met Ani Simon Kennedy, who at the time was also in the cinematography track. And we were the only two women studying cinematography. So we kind of were like sizing each other up and we're like, either we're going to be enemies or best friends. (laughs) And we can't tell which one it is. But we ended up being like a friend of ours somehow, for some reason, asked both of us to DP his short. And we were like, 
this feel like what I don't know what happened there, but it forced us to kind of work together and we worked together so well and started kind of shooting projects together where it was almost like an ACDP combo where it was, we would kind of alternate through roles together. And what became clear was that when we were doing that, she would kind of talk more with the director and with the actors and focus on like coordinating the camera from that side. And I was talking more to crew and working with the like equipment side of things more. So by the end of the year, she was like, Ah, I think I'm just a director. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I agree. I think that's what your skills are like pointing you to for sure. And made it even better because it's easier for us to work together that way. Because um, co-DPs are not really a thing. And so when we left, we kind of knew we wanted to team up and work together somehow. She had been living in New York before Prague. So I packed up my stuff and moved to New York, like <laughs> with a wish and a prayer. And we started doing like really small branded videos for new companies. There were a lot of tech startups at the time and we would just kind of shoot whatever we could, whatever came our way just to kind of get a bulk of projects under our belt and to kind of create a company together. So we started our company. It's called Bicephaly Pictures, which is the medical term for two headed because it's just the two of us at our company and probably will always just be the two of us. Um, and then we, yeah, it sort of like grew over time. Things, the projects got bigger and the budgets got bigger and we got better clients. And it was, it was a slow evolution, but it did take off faster than either of us kind of expected it did. And then suddenly we owned a production company and it was a little bit of a shock to both of us, but it was a really perfect path, I think, for us both into the industry because it gave us a little more control over what we chose to do. And we got to be more intentional about the stuff we selected versus just kind of being at the whims of whatever people would would throw our way. Um, yeah, still going strong today. Or yeah, it's going to be our ten year anniversary in October. Wow! Congratulations. Ten years strong. That's awesome. Yes, long time. Okay, so you land in New York and you start doing these videos. But do you, in the back of your, both of your minds, is it, okay, we are going to make features one day? Is this your goal or is it, we're going to see where we head? Yeah. I, both of our goals were and are to just like one day be only doing feature narratives. Um, or I guess now it's kind of evolved, like TV episodic has become so much better than it once was. So now that's yeah. also something we would love to do. Um, but it was always with the goal of shooting narratives, but we knew that there's not a ton of money in narratives, especially when you're starting out. So it felt like going the kind of commercial branded route would be a way to like make money while on the side, like developing scripts or, or working on shorts, kind of whatever we could do to be a creative outlet, but having our, the thing that pays the bills also it not being something entirely different than film, it felt like a good kind of double-edged sword of art and commerce combining. And at this point, did either of you have, like, it sounds like you've already said you're not as into the writing part, but it sounds like it, <laughs> written the both of these features. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, she wrote both of them. And does she have any of these stories in mind at the time? Or like, how does that develop? Um, it was sort of a... Days of Grey started off in, it really evolved along its lifespan. Like it, it started off with, we had met um, someone we went to school with in Prague was from Iceland and he knew this band, Hjaltelin, who we loved their music and we were like, oh, it'd be great to shoot a music video for them. Like that would be a cool thing to have under our belt. Like we started wanting to do more music videos um, in the early days and so we started kind of coming up with an idea for them based on a previous song that they had already recorded. And then by the time we started pitching it to them, they were like, oh, we love this idea. We want to record a new album. Would you be interested in like making it a, almost like a feature length music video, like creating something oh, wow. that could okay. be a full album long thing? So it was this slow developing thing where the story kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, and because Days of Grey is a movie that is set in a world without 
language. There's no dialogue. So the script is a bit of an odd script in the sense that it's just a, a short story. Like it's just the action part of it. Yeah, that's kind of how that one came to be. And then by the time we were in the festival cycle for Days of Grey, Ani started getting this sort of like nugget of an idea for the short history of The Long Road. So it's it's always like a slow story development phase. And then once she sits down to start writing, it moves along a lot faster. She just kind of likes to talk through story ideas. And that's how she kind of initially develops scripts. It starts by just like telling me a story that she think would thinks would be an interesting film. And, and then we kind of go from there. And I don't write them at all, but I'm just like a sounding board and we'll throw ideas out and feedback and just kind of act as that for her. Okay, cool. So really the collaboration starts pretty early in that in, in terms of at least it's almost like um, you're kind of offering this guidance and critique through the story process. Yeah. That's kind of what yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> That's my role. Just just story guru that I just hear all the stories and give her thoughts. And it's also sometimes like because we start so early talking about these ideas, I'm also always thinking visually too. So I'm like, ooh, what about like this kind of a location or this kind of setting? I feel like a lot of my notes come from more of a visual point of view. And then once it's in script form, we can kind of break it down more in terms of like making sure the narrative is hitting where it needs to and flowing correctly. But initially it's kind of just like, you know, daydreaming what we want this movie to look like. So Ani's sort of process starts with like, she has an image in her head and then wants to build a story out from that. So with the short history of the long road, she was like, I just pictured this girl, young girl driving a large van alone at night. And I kind of started wondering where is she going? Who is she? What is she doing? And the story kind of evolved from that. So since Ani comes from a cinematography background, she thinks about things really visually too, which I think is why we have good conversations in that perspective about scripts. And so she's seeing this kind of broad image of it. Is that how you work too, in terms of your mind going through the process? Are you thinking of, you mentioned scenery, is that coming first? Or are you seeing, I guess, how specific is that vision from the get-go? Is it a mix of kind of broad strokes and and really narrow focused ideas? Yeah, it starts out pretty broad. Um, even with short history, we were originally supposed to shoot it around New Orleans, and then we ended up shooting it in New Mexico, two very different locations. So it was never so specific to a place. Also, because we knowing that we are indie filmmakers, we know we're kind of at the whims of budgetary restrictions. So we never get too locked into like specifics in that way. As long as it doesn't affect the narrative, it's kind of like we could pick up and move or adjust things here and there. So we tend to, when we start out working on a project, we we kind of, we're big into lookbooks and mood boards and we'll pull a bunch of images, photography or painting or references to other films and compile it all in a folder, eventually put it in a document. And that kind of grows over time and becomes the like feeling of a film that we're going for. But it's it's not specific like we want, you know, this specific type of camera movement. Like we don't get too into it until we know that the production is fully fleshed out and ready to go and we can officially start kind of shot listing and storyboarding. And what kind of questions are you asking yourself at that point? Are you asking about color palettes or like what are the first questions you start asking yourself in terms of, okay, what do I need to be prepared for to make this happen? We start out mostly thinking in terms of... um the feeling that we want um, someone to have when they're watching a movie, like with short history, we wanted it to feel organic and like have a sense of naturalism in it where it's, it's not a documentary, but we wanted to kind of be true to the landscapes and true to what was hap- happening, not kind of overly glamorizing it. Like a lot of movies that are, you know, adventure and on the road it's like, it's all at magic hour and it's all beautiful and, and you're never out in the hot sun and it's gross. And we wanted to kind of embrace the kind of gross side of van dwelling and, and not shy away from that. So we, knowing that, started looking at photographers who were very naturalistic and their work. And like Justine Curland was one that was, I think, our biggest inspiration. She just, she creates 
sort of like narrative scenes, but they look fully captured in a documentary style, but they're always like kind of elevated in what the narrative is showing. And and that's kind of where we start. And then we add to it and find things that line up with that and keep building out from there. And how much of the, how much of each shot then when you get to the actual point where you're on set shooting it, how much of it is on the spur of the moment to kind of coordinate how it looks? We do a ton of prep work. Like once we're officially going and the production's happening, we, we do our location scout. Um, we do a tech scout. We make a full shot list and have like a, a very thorough plan of what we want to get, what we need to get. So we know on the day if something runs late or needs to shift, we know what to kind of prioritize. So by the time we're on set, it's almost like I, Ani and I always warn people we're on set with, we're like, we don't talk a ton on set because by then we both know like what we're supposed to be doing independently of each other. Cause we've talked at that point for like three years about this project. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't really need to communicate. We're like, this is good. Great. Okay, great. And then we both go and she deals with actors and I deal with crew and it's, it's nice. Like that's the best part of it. Cause they're like, finally I can, get all this info that I've been storing in my brain out into the shot and we can kind of empty it and move on to the next thing. So it's fully planned out. And especially with an indie production, you kind of can't, you you don't really have the luxury of time to figure it out on the day. And I think it just keeps things moving faster. There's not a lot of discussion. It's just kind of a well-oiled machine at that point, which keeps things stress-free and you have shorter days. And I think everyone always appreciates that method of working. Yeah, that's that's super interesting that by the time that you're actually shooting it, you're just on the same wavelength. Uh, yeah. I, I was noticing in my writing that just the act of writing itself, I become in tune with myself better. And so yeah. I was imagining, oh, if you're collaborating with someone so much, you must really become in tune with them in that process. Yeah, completely. You develop a great shorthand that just makes everything a million times easier. Like we, and also because we have, you know, our company, we literally will spend every day together or talk every day. Like there's, and it's, it's just talking about a project for so long that as a DP on other projects with different directors, I don't get the luxury of doing and you have to be so much more intentional about planning times to talk through things and, and addressing it rather than just knowing you can, when something pops into your head, mention it on the spot and then go back into whatever work you were doing. It becomes a lot more fluid rather than a typical DP director relationship where you're, you're like, all right, this is our prep week and this is all we have and this is when we'll be working on it. It's a different kind of um, flow. Does that extra prep go in with the work with the actors too? I, I watched both films this week and they're both outstanding. And, you know, oh, not oh. just the excellent cinematography that you've done and the directing by Ani, but mm-hmm. something that stood out to me was how well acted both films are, especially with yeah. Days of Grey with the kids. Uh, yeah. They just do such a great job. And then in short history, just that whole cast is outstanding. How much are you communicating with them ahead of time? Or is that something that there's a lot of pressure in the moment on? Both films were very different in that sense. Like on Days of Grey, we auditioned. We had like a couple of days of casting where we auditioned a bunch of kids and they came through. So Ani was able to just chat with them and, and sort of figure out who were our best kids to go with. And then from there was able to spend time with them and talk through things and and have like not rehearsals in the sense of, you know, we're running scenes because there's no dialogue. It was sort of more rehearsals and like talking about the character, exploring it so they could like kind of feel lived in once we got on set. And then for Days of Grey, because there was no dialogue, some of the scenes Ani was literally able to like talk through them and be like, okay, like now look at him now do like sort of directing them live while the cameras were rolling, which I think helped a lot for the kids rather than throwing a ton at them at once. She was like, I will talk you through it as you're acting and you can respond to me in the moment, which was super helpful for them. And those kids were just 
great. I was like, I don't know what the talent is like in Iceland, but they're setting the bar very high. <laughs> All the kids are very talented, apparently. Um, and then with short history, like she didn't get really a, a rehearsal time with any of the actors because they're all much busier working actors. So she had a lot of conversations with Sabrina Carpenter, who plays the lead. She went to LA a couple times and they like drove around and had conversations and ran scenes, but it was very piecemeal. It wasn't like a focused time to rehearse sure. and like, yeah, for Danny Trejo and Maggie Sif, they just kind of showed up and Ani had like a couple days to talk with them. And then it was into the shoot. There was just not a lot of time to rehearse. We could not afford to have much more time with them. And we needed to put whatever time we did have into the filming part of it. So it was a lot on set, but also because they're all so amazing and so professional, they just like know what to do at that point like Maggie Siff kind of blew me away more than anyone because she's so used to like the multi-camera tv shows she was like I know when I'm standing here like what's your shot size what do I need to give where am I looking like she just thinks about everything so holistically that it was um she was such a pro and for someone that Ani had very little time to rehearse with she like took they took to it so quickly together getting the the right stuff especially for her character is a bit complicated so Ani just wanted to have a variety of reactions baked into her performances so that in the edit if it felt like we needed to push more sympathetic or less sympathetic towards this character it was it was all there as an option so she focused on kind of getting options rather than knowing like one specific thing that we need and just getting that and moving on so it's, I think it's just different every time with actors. And I generally just try to like stay out of the way. My goal with actors <laughs> is like, I'm like, I'm going to be as invisible to you as I can possibly be so that you can be focused on what you're doing and try to like keep the crew in the same mindset of like giving them space to, to work through the, you know, whatever they're doing in a scene. Are you ever surprised by how they interpret something that might be different than you expected during, you know, if you mentioned three years of planning, I'm sure you have yeah. very distinct things in yeah. your mind. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got an actor or actress doing something that's probably, I would guess, <laughs> yes. sometimes remarkably different. Yeah, no, for sure. And that, I mean, I think that more came for the, within the casting process, it was sort of like each person we would think about being in a role made the movie a very different movie. So by the time yeah. we cast, like, Knowing that we had Stephen Ogg as her father, we were like, you already kind of know like what is so charming and interesting about Stephen Ogg. And he like brought that into the role. Ani kind of cast people in a way that a big part of who they actually were informed the characters. She kind of left the characters open enough so that they could be fleshed out by whoever was playing them. And like Steven is usually a villain and like a scary dude in all of his roles. And in this, he's just kind of like, a quirky father and he was like this is amazing it's the first movie my mom wants to watch of mine like I'm like a nice person and I liked playing that role and he brought just so much of his own personality and he's so fun on set and he brought that into the role so it was more like seeing how they fleshed it out just by being who they were and that came in the casting more than on set I think so much of this is interesting to me because of the collaboration you know we talked about your uh the work that you're doing with Ani and then the actors mm -hmm. here, and I'm sure, you know, different members of the crew, there's just so much going on and you're creating something all together, you know, even though yours and Ani's vision are there, it's just, mm -hmm. there's so much happening. And it's, yeah. and, and so that's just, it's interesting for me to try to wrap my mind around that because when I'm working creatively, you know, I look outside of myself and bring things in and, you know, collaborate mm -hmm. with, people on kind of a, you know, like, oh, I watched this video or I read this book and that's kind of the collaboration that I'm doing, at least in the actual <laughs> yeah. writing process, like just toying with ideas that are already there and then looking into myself for ideas. And like I said, you know, it's this process of understanding myself more and trying to explore different things that are going on inside of me. With all that collaboration, do you feel that during the process you're learning something about yourself? Because for, for me, I think, oh, it's it's obvious as a writer that through the act of writing, I'm learning about myself. 
but it yeah. seems like a less direct path for um, someone in your position to say, oh, my work is directly influenced by my own life and directly influencing my life. If that question makes sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. I feel like because film, it's sort of like at every stage, you end up like trusting your baby to someone new. You're like, all right, I'm bringing you into this. And now you have to like help me raise this child and let's not mess it up together. <laughs> it becomes so collaborative that like you you have to kind of have a lighter I guess it's not true for every filmmaker, but the filmmakers I like to work with have like, there's not a big ego involved in things. So it becomes inherently more about like the collective than one person's kind of like, you know, road to glory. And then it sure. becomes more like you learn about yourself less from like the digging into the material and more from just like working with people and meeting new people. It becomes about the like, people experience yeah, at least okay. for me more than the like work itself and like you know we shot short history in new mexico i had never been to new mexico we hired locals for every role in the crew the cast was you know outside of our leads was made up of people from albuquerque like it was sort of like dropping into a completely new environment with new people and and creating like a new dynamic on set and it becomes sort of like that interpersonal growth and like stretching, I think, is the 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 growth that I feel on a project more so than like an internal growth from the material itself. So like the relationships you have with other people, because, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess it's really giving you this extra set of relationships, because I think we do learn something from ourselves, you know, whether it be with how you relate to your own parents or a sibling, mm -hmm. there's something that you learn about yourself through that process or, you know, a spouse or a friend. Yeah. And, you know, the family, you're often, you know, you're given your family and you choose your friends, but mm -hmm. this is something that's kind of in between there, right? Like you have, yeah. you know, Ani, who you kind of selected each other to work with, and then you have yeah. the people who just happen to be there. So you, you kind of have yeah. this mix of different perspectives. Yeah, it is such a mix. And it's fun. The way you just described that is how I would also describe the stories that Ani likes to tell in films. Like sure. Days of Grey was very much about like, all right, this is like the world that you're born into. But like, what do you choose to keep and what do you choose to leave behind? And same with short history. In a way, it was about this girl who's always lived life on the road. And suddenly she's in a situation where she has to choose what she wants to keep from that life and what she wants to maybe move on from and how to live with like new people and bring new people into her life and new perspectives. And our, our feel like our sets tend to do the same thing. And, you know, you come out of it with some incredible friends out of just being like in this weird <laughs> traveling circus together for four weeks. It's bound to kind of force you to grow in certain ways. Yeah, so it sounds like there really is that circular aspect of it too, because that's been something I've noticed in my writing that I'm interested in, where something from my life will inspire the book, but then the book mm -hmm. goes back and then inspires what's happening in my life in terms of understanding things or knowing how to handle something. And yeah. there it's, it's, it's like, well, where does that start? Does it start with you recognizing this collaborative nature of what's happening with the relationships of people you're meeting or is it the story that influences that but it's probably yeah. this like you know chicken or egg kind of like well which one's which yeah. you know right it's impossible to like peel it apart and see what causes what and what is yeah it's a really interesting process and at a certain point too you kind of lose track of like which came first it becomes all a bit of a blur especially when you're in this like creative kind of like you know, film is not a place where you're allowed to have like slow creative processes. Like once you're on set, you like have to make your days and you have to like get these shots done in a given day. So you are kind of riding on this adrenaline too, where yeah, you rely on those relationships, fully trusting people to like do the job because they're really good at it. And you're all counting on each other to like not drop the ball together. So it becomes a blur. <laughs> I love it. A beautiful blur. I love film sets. It's the best part of my job. I would imagine another thing that you kind of learn about yourself is 
like you mentioned before, you're having these moments where, okay, I'm, you know, the baby is being taken care of by <laughs> someone else and like, they're holding it funny, but a, it's going to work <laughs> yeah. like, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, but I would imagine, you know, if someone starts flipping the baby upside down in the air, <laughs> you know, you, you're stepping in and saying, okay, hold on. <laughs> like, like, yeah. have you learned yeah. what, like what areas that you're going to take a stand on or does it, that depend on the situation or the people? Like, how do you know when to speak up and be like, no, this is all wrong. Like, you know, like you have to do something else. Yeah. No, I think that's, that comes down to just truly like you, you develop like a gut feeling on like what is worth putting your foot down for and what is not. And I think if you're someone who constantly is being like, no, 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 no. Like do it this way. Don't do it that way. People, almost tune it out a little bit. So if you are economical about the moments where you choose to be like, all right, this is actually not correct. And we're going to do it this way. People respond so much better to it. Um, I think that comes down also to ego to being like, all right, is this something that is genuinely a good idea? And I just feel like, oh, I didn't think of it. So I don't want to do it. So I'm going to stick to my guns or, you know, just picking the things that you need to really put your foot down for. And then people will listen when you say that, like there are moments, you know, when you're even making, like trying to get equipment together and you know, you have a certain budget and you're like, all right, I'm willing to compromise on like these things, but there are some things that I will absolutely not compromise on. Cause I know the story needs it. And those conversations are much easier to have when you have a clear picture in your head on what is like a deal breaker in a certain situation. So between Days of Grey and Short History of the Long Road, between those movies, did you set out to accomplish a different... So, you know, they're mm-hmm. both feature films, obviously very yeah. different from each other. Yeah. But is there something that... Is there a new challenge that you set out to accomplish to kind of push yourself creatively? I think the first one, like we were talking about earlier, there was this like complete ignorance to how films like we were like we want to make this movie and it's going to be beautiful and great and we love it and our friends love it so let's go make it and it was a kickstarter campaign and it was you know 50,000 through kickstarter and then the other half like by some miracle this production company in Iceland called Saga Film came on as our co-producers and like filled in the other 50,000 with gear and vehicles and support and so it was like our $100,000 budget very small we were pulling all the favors we could possibly pull through our friends and just kind of like blindly going into making this movie, which I truly don't think we could make that movie today because we know too much about like what we should have been doing in those moments. Like it was really so indie and, and I think we only could have made it at that time. And then our goal from that was like, all right, now we want to like level up in terms of kind of working within the system. Like Days of Grey was so out of nowhere. We like came out of nowhere, sent it off to festivals, kind of like said a prayer and then had a like lovely little festival run. But nothing was like intentional about the way we got the film out at the end of the day. It was kind of like, what? You just make a movie, you send it to festivals and it gets in. And and now we are like, oh no, festivals sometimes know a year like before a movie is even made it'll know it's going to Sundance like there are just sort of things that you don't realize are in the works so much earlier and getting into the kind of like the industry side of it was something we wanted to do a short history we were like we want people to like be aware of the film before it exists know to look out for it when we send the cut to festivals like we wanted to give ourselves a better shot of getting more eyes on it because at the end of the day we just want people to watch these movies and kind of festivals are the first way you do that so we wanted to kind of level up in terms of you know getting cast with names that people who don't know us and don't know what we do would be interested to watch it just just kind of expanding our our circle of like eyeballs on the film um and that was kind of the challenge for this one and it was a real challenge because it it just requires more permission to make the film than we needed for Days of Grey. Like we needed to get permission from agents to send out to their clients to get actors. We needed 
financiers we needed you know it was so many sort of like steps along the way it couldn't just be like by sheer force of will we make this movie it required more people and and more collaborators also to be involved in helping us do all of those things so that was kind of our biggest challenge that we just set out for ourselves in making short history and those are two kind of different pretty different challenges, although they make complete sense. And, you know, the first one is, well, yeah. it's our first film, so the challenge is make the film. And then the second yeah. one is, <laughs> yeah. is this different challenge? Well, how do we get more people to be interested in the film? Yeah. Did you find one to be significantly more challenging than the other or just unique in their own ways? I think short history was completely way more challenging than Days of Grey. I think it really is ignorance is bliss. And when you're just making a movie, you're like, we were like, it never crossed our mind that we wouldn't be able to make that movie. We were like, yeah, we just will make this movie and it's going to be great. And we had a great time and puff, there was a movie. And then short history, we were like, oh, wow. Like we know too much now about like the festival circuit and like how difficult that can be. And we, we just like knew more going into it. So we were looking down the barrel of like so many challenges that we didn't even know to look for the first time around. So that made it much much harder. But also, I feel like personally, I felt it was more rewarding in a sense, once you get to those points, because you you're like, I know how much we worked for this and how so many people worked for this movie to be in existence. Like once you get to the end, it's such a greater accomplishment. And that feeling is is so great to get to that point. Yeah, I think that's something I, I relate to in kind of setting my own goals and challenges for myself, where if I don't make my next project challenging in some new ways, it's not mm-hmm. going to push me creatively and it's it's not going to be as satisfying when I get there, even though, you know, it would be way easier just to handle something, you know, just the same exact way I ever, I've done yeah. in the past. So it's interesting to see it here, to hear you relate that to the filmmaking yeah. process. Now, do you two, I don't know if you have future projects or if you can even talk about future projects but do you at least have a new challenge for for the next project that would stretch you even further or stretch you differently maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think we don't have like a, a for sure next project, but just knowing like Ani has a few scripts that she's been kind of working on and it's like, which one is going to kind of get traction first and which will be the one that like sparks us to be like, oh, now we're off to the races. But all of them are on a much larger scale like I feel like the stories themselves require a larger budget require more resources and so that inevitably will end up being I think our next challenge but it's also because I function as when I'm working with Ani I am also a producer in addition to being a cinematographer I just am so involved in the creative process that it's just I end up kind of in that role by accident and I don't particularly want to be a producer. Like that is not something that I enjoy doing. I also think there are so many producers who are much better at it than I am that I would love to pass the baton to. So I have been also slowly stepping away from that. And I'm curious, like maybe our next project will be me getting more distance from that. And that'll be also a different dynamic than I'm used to in the past. So it's, it's hard to tell, but I feel like, I know there's another step out there somewhere, but it's exciting to move on to like new and different, potentially bigger things. That's, I look forward to that. Yeah. It almost sounds like, and I've had this in previous experiences as well, where you've accomplished this second challenge, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. it's satisfying and you succeeded at it, but it's almost like you kind of have unfinished business with that same challenge. Cause like that bigger, better aspect of it it's it's okay we've done this but we did it at this level what does it look yeah. like if we do it at the next level so cuz it sounds yeah. like it's it's a similar it's kind of a similar puzzle that you're trying to solve but now you're you know instead of having a 100 piece puzzle it's like well we want it to be a 1000 piece puzzle because how much cooler would that be you know that sort of thing yeah exactly and i feel like it's also like it's not like we're looking to make a marvel movie next like that's not the level we're trying to get to anytime soon but it is just, you know, even you know, short history, there are things where we were like, okay, like we can't afford to do this thing visually, but it's fine. We'll find something that gives the same feeling and replace it that way. But it would be great to be at a point 
to not have to make compromises with aesthetic choices because of budgetary reasons. And I think that would be the place we want to get to next to like really have the resources to do fully justice to a story that requires a little bit more. I, I hope that that is our next thing. Who's who's to say? I don't know. At the same time, do you feel that that extra, um, that restraint, do you find that that will get you thinking creatively in a different direction that you might not have thought? Or is it more often than that, just this kind of like frustration that, you know, filmmaking so hard in the first place that it's almost like having (laughs) this extra restriction could be frustrating because you're already being pushed so hard. No, there is something that is weirdly helpful about restrictions. And I feel like it's like there have been moments where we've get we've gotten like a brief from a client and they're like, we want to do something like kind of in this vein, but whatever you think. And we're like, no, give us more <laughs> guidelines. Like we would like to have more restriction because then you can get more specific in what you're like, how to direct your next steps. And I felt that way with a lot of, you know, creative decisions for any shoot that we're on is a lot of times the simplest answer is actually the right answer. And, and we have a tendency, I think filmmakers get a little carried away sometimes with like gear and having the latest thing and, and, and sometimes being very simple and stripping things down actually makes for a more impactful image or scene. And so having restrictions, I do find is helpful in the moment. I'm always like, Oh no. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, no, that was the right decision actually. And I'm glad that that's where we landed. So I'll take some restrictions. It's fine. We don't want to be too free, just like little baby steps towards full, full budgets. Yeah. I know in my own work, it's, it's funny with when you're just writing a novel, you have certain things that aren't constrained whatsoever. Like, like I could write a novel that would be, you know, cost $300 million to make into a movie and it doesn't matter, but there's, there's still restrictions that come up in terms. I mean, so many like, like whether it just be, Oh, I really ought to follow this sort of structure here or else it's just not going to work or things like that. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I get, when I get stuck in those ruts, those are they're frustrating, but then they're almost the most exciting ones to be in because I'll think of a solution that never would have crossed my mind had I not been forced to stop and try to think of a better way. So it's like you said, it's that those restrictions, they're, they're interesting because they're not always your arch enemy. Like sometimes they definitely are, but they feel like it, but they're not always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah it makes you kind of have to pause and rethink things and, and, and um, kind of explain yourself for the decisions that you feel you need to make. It just makes you kind of more considerate of what you're doing sometimes having to stop and reevaluate, which I do think is really valuable, especially once you get in, like just kind of even go on autopilot sometimes with creative stuff and be like, great, great. Like we just keep working in the same way we have, but when you're forced to pause, you can come up with more interesting ideas. So releasing a film has enough of its own hurdles, but then on top of it, you guys experienced bad timing with COVID. What was the original release date for the film? We were originally supposed to release in um, April of 2020, (laughs) which was terrible timing, we all found out. And so once things kind of went into lockdown, it was so early that it was like, no one could kind of tell if this was going to be a month or four years long. Like no one kind of had a sense of how to gauge it. So we kind of, we shifted it back to a May release theatrically, and then eventually decided we just needed to find an an alternate route because it wasn't going to be feasible. So we did a virtual premiere online that was sort of like streaming globally. So everyone could kind of watch collectively from their house. And I think we, we caught people right at the tail end of the like, right before Zoom fatigue kind of set in for people, it was able to be done as like a virtual premiere and people were still excited about it versus being like, oh, another thing I have to yeah. watch on my computer. So that was really nice to just have some sort of feeling of a collective viewing, which we really were bummed to have missed out on with theatrical. I think it just movie theaters 
now we're like, we miss them so much. Like everybody's dying to get back to them. And and at the time, that's what you look forward to with the film is like watching with an audience. And we weren't able to do that for the release. Luckily we did have like the previous year we had a festival run and we premiered at Tribeca. So we, we got a little taste of that, so, which I'm very thankful for. If we hadn't have had that, it would have been a real sad thing to not ever see it on a big screen. But we did get that with festivals. I remember the trailer coming out and seeing it and being so excited for you. And it was honestly one of the first <laughs> things that I thought of. Like, like there were certain things that like, oh, no. like when the pandemic, because the pandemic happened pretty close to that, like you were saying. Yeah. And I remember yeah. there was just things on my mind. I was like, oh, shoot, like this whole thing is ruined and like, (laughs) and like, Oh, I can't, I can't do this or that as I'm sure everyone did. And then I remember, I don't know if I saw something on Instagram or somewhere. And I just remember thinking like, that sucks to to like to have (laughs) this, cause you know, you had days of gray, but it really felt at least from an outside perspective that this is like a, an even bigger film that's going to get this theatrical release. And then here you are in this like big moment of your life and it just gets (laughs) completely changed. And so, yeah, I just feel for you for that. Yeah. We all were like, Oh no, we tripped, like tripped at the finish line. Like, Oh no. You didn't trip at the finish line. Like something, someone put their (laughs) leg out and tripped you. Like that, like we were tripped. (laughs) It was sort of like, it was such a moment though of like, it just also put things into perspective in a way that we were like, it's very hard to be like, so sad about like our theatrical release getting pushed when like, so many people are struggling. And this is such a horrible situation. And then, you know, the protests starting up, and I feel like it really put things into a very healthy perspective for us that we were like, all right, we're gonna make the best of it just kind of like go with what we have. We're very used to doing that. This was one of those like, all right, this is our limitation now. Like how do we maximize in the best way that we can? And like, we did have a couple, I think we had eight um, drive-in theaters that screened the film, which was so nice. And like, we would get pictures from people who were at them. We were never able to go, but just seeing that was sort of encouraging and it ended up working out better than I think we thought when initially the world shut down, we were like, we're doomed. (laughs) Like this is going nowhere. And then it was, it was nice to see people kind of pull for it, even though we weren't in theaters like we had planned. Do you get a gauge on how that will affect everything moving forward? Because just the industry as a whole, because now like, I think people want to get back to movie theaters, but now, yeah. you know, streaming service and video on demand are as big as ever. And I would I would think that, and I know you want to increase the budget for your next film, but like mm-hmm. you said, you're probably not doing a $200 million film, you know, right. <laughs> in, the, in the coming months here. But it feels like things that are a little bit lower in budget are really good risks for these services to take. Do you get that sense? Yeah, or- yeah it is kind of like there's a huge gap between like either studios and all these companies are producing like huge sort of like sure thing, big films and, and like, you know, projects based on like pre-existing content, you know, the reboots and whatever, or they are looking at the smaller films and thinking that like, all right, we can get like a bulk of these and like maybe some are hits and some are misses, but they're worth, investing in too i hope that it's sort of like there's still i hope people still put a little bit of faith in the indie films because the mid-range films are also where it's like doesn't really exist anymore like the mid-range like budgets for like a just like a good drama like no one's making those movies it kind of swings one direction or the other like huge budgets or indie films which is odd, but if we are able to fill the like indie film void, very down to do that. You know, if people have interest in it and in financing them, I think that is like that side of the industry needs more support from the streamers because if they're the ones calling all the shots, like I hope that they give opportunities to a more like diverse range of voices out there. Well, whatever your next opportunity is, I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Uh, you and Ani have done incredible work so far, so I'm excited to see what's next. 
Thank you. Before we wrap up, can you tell us how to watch your first two films? Uh, I guess the best place, the short history of the long road is on so many platforms, but if you go to our website, um, shorthistorylongroad.com, it's got everything listed wherever you happen to be subscribed. We'll probably be there. Um, and days of gray is on, is on also on Amazon. It's on Vimeo. Do a little Google search. You'll find them really easy. <laughs> Would love for people to watch them. They're out there and waiting. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Kaylin. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. The titles of Kaylin's films are Days of Grey and The Short History of the Long Road. You can find links to watch each film in the show notes and on causeofcraft.com. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode, and follow Cause of Craft on Instagram for the latest news and updates. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews will help more people discover the show. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's j-o-n at causeofcraft.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.